Your garden's full of weeds. Life is a book. And the new normal. Irish man stands with America. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America. Thank you so much for tuning in today. This, of course, is the show where you come for the accent. You also come for the slaying of Woodrow Wilson and other ancient progressives, and you stay for the principles. And today, I want to talk to you in parables. I want to talk to you in stories because one of the things that frustrates me is when you do this show and you talk about a certain example or a certain modern day thing that's going on, automatically by me discussing it, everyone just balkanizes into sides. Everyone thinks, oh, you've got some agenda. Oh, are you trying to, you know, are you trying to promote Trump? Are you trying to jump on the chain? Are you, are you trying to attack him? Is there a hidden message? I'm going to speak to you in parables. And I want to talk to you about our world, what's going on right now. But I don't want to make this about BLM because you see that all the time. I'm guessing you're tired of hearing it like I am. You're seeing all these stories about sports people going, I'm not going to play basketball today. Oh, no, I'm not. No, I'm not. You see all this stuff that's going on. I want to talk to you in parables. But what we have to understand is the first lesson. The first lesson in life is anyone who tells you or makes it out to be that life is so simple that any argument can be boiled down into this small little nutshell of an argument is lying to you. Either they're lying to you out of ignorance, or they're lying to you out of malice, or just because it suits them in an narrative. One of the things that frustrates me, and a large part of the blame goes to social media, a large part of the blame goes to the media, a large part of the blame goes to technology and the ticker clock that's on the media, is that we have to boil down an argument. And you're going to start seeing this now as 2020 er erupts. You're going to start seeing it on both sides of the aisle. I'm going to tell you why you need to vote for Joe Biden in one sentence under the ticker clock on CNN or MSNBC or in a tweet of 280 characters. You're going to see the right do the exact same thing about Donald Trump. It's going to be under the ticker of Fox News of the Blaze, of the Daily Wire, ever whatever website. And you're going to see it on characters. And we're going to have these grandiose discussions in 280 other characters or less. How many things do you think you could discuss in 280 characters? I just want to give you an example. If most of you have kids or are around kids, discuss your kid's education, your kid's future, your future in 280 characters. I dare you. But that's the world we live in. It has to be quick, snappy, get to the point. Everything is a lot more nuanced because we are individuals. We are unique. We are not all the same. We all don't have groupthink. No matter how much people want us to think it, no matter how much people would like to think, hey, we're all the right, you all think this. Hey, they're all the left, they all think this way. Oh, you're a libertarian, you think this way. Oh, you're a Christian, you think this way. Oh, you're gay, you think this way. 
no matter how much the media and those talking heads online want you to think that, oh, they're all the same, the truth is they're not. But I want to talk to you in parables. And the parable I want to talk to you about is weeds. You see, if you break down every debate that you have right now, a popular analogy is, hey, do you want the red pill or the blue pill? Do you want to live in ignorance and just have those eyes shut and just go, I'm just going to live in ignorance. I just, if, if I can't see it, it doesn't happen. And if it doesn't, if I don't see it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't exist. And it's not a problem. Or you can take the red pill. And then you can wake up and you can actually really see. You may not like what you see, but you'll see the world for what it is. That is a very true and articulate way of saying it in a very short period of time. But I want to explain to you and use that parable and explain to you why it is incomplete. Because there are so many other stories and so many other examples and treads off those red pill, blue pill. And what I want to do is I want to talk to you about weeds. Because everyone has weeds. Yes, weeds in a garden. I don't mean weed and... Ooh, yeah, man, that's good stuff. That's good weed. No, not that type of weed. Just weeds in the garden, you know, that grow up and you're like, oh my God, come on. There are people who will tell you, who will tell you at the garden and go, you know what? There's no weeds out the back. Don't worry. Look, don't worry about it. Just pull those blinds down. Don't look out the back window. There is no weeds. There are no weeds. Your garden is full of weeds, factually, but people will tell you there are no weeds. No weeds. Don't, don't, oh, don't look there. No, you don't need to see that. And there are people who will go along, okay, yeah, there's no weeds. And they'll actually believe them. They'll believe the person who's telling them, or they'll convince themselves to go, there is no weeds, there is no weeds, there is no weeds. If I keep saying this, the weeds will just disappear, right? That's how weeds go, right? There are people who will go, you know what? Yeah, you've got weeds. But dude, don't worry about it. Weeds are cool. There's this new trendy thing out in California, man, where we're smoking that weed. And it's cool, man. Look at that. I, I know it's, 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 the weeds are cool. They're cool. That's, that's the new trend. Leave it. Don't touch your garden. There are those who'll go, you know what? There is weeds out the back. There's also plants, but there's lots of weeds. You know what we need to do? Personally, you know, I'm not using the analogy here, but actually using actual gardening because I really hate it. This is what I would do. We need to get a match and a load of petrol and go petrol, 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 and then go and just burn it to the ground. There's no garden. There's no weeds. There's no garden. There's no grass. There's no flowers. There's no beautiful things. It's just whoo, ash. Again, I'm not talking about the analogy. I'm talking about real life. There are people who will make excuses. They'll say, yes, I have weeds, but you know what? You know what? I just can't get to it. I, I, ha I have such a busy life. The weeds aren't that important to me. You know, I've got kids. I've got, you know, got a job. I got college. I got a dating life. I got a sports. I got to become a powerlifter. Weeds are just not that important. Or they'll make a case of, you know what? Yeah, my garden has weeds. And look, it's not pretty. I'm not saying it's going to win an award, but you should see my neighbors. My neighbors, like, like my weeds are little small little things. Like their, their weeds are like six foot tile high. You can't see out the garden. It's like the garden is just this big, whoo, big green. That's all it is. It's weeds. Then there'll be people who go, you know what? There is weeds. We can agree. We can find common ground. There's weeds in my back garden. But you know what? It's the government's job to fix it. Or it's someone else's job to fix it. It's someone else's. It's their responsibility. It's, yeah, it's my garden, my weeds, my problem. 
their responsibility to fix it. There are people who go, you know what? Yes, there are weeds. Yes, but I just can't, I can't seem to get them under control. I can't seem to, you know, bring them under control. I, I just, I give up. I've tried, I've tried all these different, you know, things, and they just keep coming back. You know what? I'm tired. I, I, I just, I just want to give up. I, I, I can't do it. But there's also the people who will go, look, it's time to face facts. There's a lot of weeds out there. But here's how you fix it. Here's how you fix it. You root them up. You pull them out. You try and protect the plant. You get some type of spray or, again, I'm not a gardener. Probably should have researched this better. But you pull up some toxic spray and you get the root. And then you make sure the weeds never grow back. And then you worry about next year, next year's crop, to ensure that it doesn't get smoked out by weeds. But it involves hard work. It involves sacrifices. It will involve a lot of pain, because, you know, pulling out weeds will hurt your hands. In this analogy, and the reason I'm using a parable is because I want to talk to you about today's world that we have. Let's go through all of those examples and highlight the emotions of what they're trying to do. But I also want to take you in a context of the world that you see right now. See, it's not just about red pills and blue pills. There's the people who will always say there are no weeds. They want to live in ignorance. It's simple. Just live in ignorance. There is no weeds. There is the pe- people who will base it on lies and popularity. Oh, there is, yeah, there's weeds, but that's going to be the new cool trend. Just wait for it to become cool. There's the people who want to burn it down. Just burn everything down. Burn the crop, burn the weeds. They want to tear the system down. They believe in broken windows. They just want to tear that system to pieces. Then there's the people who will make excuses. Oh, well, my neighbor, you want to see my neighbor's garden? Mine might be bad, but mine's a, mine's an oasis and a paradise compared to theirs. We have moral rev- relativism. Yeah, it's not me. Yeah, I'm bad, but I ain't bad as bad as them. Yeah, this is my weeds, but it's the government's job. I want to push responsibility onto someone else. Yeah, there's weeds, but I just can't do it. I give up. Defeatism. Yes, there's weeds, but here's how you fix it. That's the key to victory. You see, the aim of all this analogy is to explain to you about a garden. What is the aim of it? It's your garden. If you believe in gardening, you're just using this as an analogy, not an actual garden. Don't you want it to be the best garden that you can have? Does your garden become great because your neighbor or the person across the road garden really stinks? They're like me and lazy and just have a load of pebbles and stones because gardening sucks. But does my garden, their garden become better because of me? But also, you have to understand that we live in a culture which likes to be offended on all sides of the aisle. There's a great, there's a lot of studies on this, just to change the analogy slightly. And then I'm going to come back to the world that we live in. There's a lot of people, and Jordan Peterson's done a lot of speaking about this. And one of the things that he does is make your bed. Because we are so offended by absolutely everything in our world, when you start living your life by a code, you will offend people because, not because of what you stand for. But you will offend someone because you are making, by their your actions, making them look bad by their inaction. 
So there's been countless of studies, psychological studies, where people have been like, make your bet. It's in the military as well. First thing you do, make your bet. There's a lot of reasons why you do this. But if you can imagine you live in a house of lots of different people with lots of different personalities. Sometimes it's families. Sometimes it's friends. And you wake up every morning and you just go, I'm going to make my bed. I'm going to make my part of this house the best it can be. Eventually what happens through clinical psychology is, hey, you wake up and make your bed every morning. Are you trying to make me look bad because I don't make my bed? No, I'm just making my bed because it's my space and I want it to look the best I can. But you're, you're highlighting, I don't make my bed. And they'll start getting offended by this. Why is that? Because clinically, your actions are highlighting in their mind their failures. This is the problem that we have in our world today. I want you to use every one of those analogies I said of that weeding the garden and look at the world and what you've been sold. I don't want you to look at it from, hey, what's the left and the right? Or, hey, what's the Democrat and the Republican point of view? Or the liberal and the conservative point of view? I just want you to look at our world, whether it's America, whether it's Ireland, whether it's England, whether it's Australia. And ask yourself, what has been sold to the people? But also ask it from yourself, from the point of view, not just of what the pundits say and the politicians say. Ask yourself, which one of those analogies would the people buy the most? You see, a lot of times how government grows, it's not about liberty or tyranny. That is an absolutely key philosophical point of view. But government grows through inaction. Government grows through laziness. Where the politician will come, whether it's left or right, going, hey, I'll look after that for you. Oh, you have this issue, I'll take care of that. You don't have to worry about it. You just pay your taxes, I'll look after that. Oh, you've got poverty and homelessness, I'll look after that, don't worry. You, you just keep living your life. Do you see how government, again, this isn't about socialism or Marxism. This is just from a core parable and a principle to understand the world we live in. Do you see how easy it is to be sold it? Do you see how busy your life is? You have your job, you have your family, you have your friends, you have your hobbies. If someone comes along to you and goes, hey, you don't need to worry about that. So many people are so busy, so stressed out of their brains. It's like, oh, whew, thank God, that's one less thing to worry about. Oh, good, I don't have to worry about homeless. Oh, that's great. And it's not true malice or ill intent. It's just true. There's only so many hours. There's 24 hours in a day. Uh, and that's just one less thing I have to worry about. How many times do you see that analogy being used where someone comes along and takes advantage of your busy nature and just says, hey, I'm your servant. I'm here for you. I'm here to fight for you. I'll do that. You don't need to worry about that. But also, the reason I share this as an analogy is do you see, if you believe in freedom and you believe in the idea of personal responsibility, do you understand what you're up against? Let me focus this in on the Christians. If you are a Christian, and I'm going to be very clear about what I say here, I don't mean a Christian as, hey, I'm a Catholic, or I'm a Protestant, or I'm a, I'm a Baptist, or I'm a Mormon. I mean as in a Christian, that you are a savior, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. He is your personal savior. And you have read the Bible, and you have read the Gospels, and you have read the story of Jesus, and the actual principles he stood for, and died for. I don't mean the principles you think he fought and died for. I mean the actual principles. 
Is there any reason that you can read any part of the Bible and go, you know what? God would want me to just pass that problem along. Or is there any aspect and every aspect that Jesus' life is, no, you got to fix that. You have to fix that. It's easy to succumb to, you want to call it laziness? It's easy to succumb to it. There's no malice involved. We're not even probably thinking, hey, you know what? I'm just lazy. I don't want to deal with that. It's a case of just, I have so much stuff on my place. This is the struggle we are up against. I am so tired of people who claim to believe in freedom thinking that it is some easy battle. That it is some battle that's, hey, just just turn up. It's done. It's over. It's just, it's entitled to it. If you understand world history and you think this is world history, this dot is freedom. It has happened in one nation at one period in time and depending on when you believe it stopped, it happened for a very short period of time. You are a blip. If you understand freedom and you understand world history, you have to acknowledge that the idea of real freedom and I don't mean the freedom that they sell you today. Oh, we're, we, we're free. No, you're not. You're just the modern day version of freedom. I mean real freedom. Freedom that we spoke about, that we speak about every week on this show in the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. That idea that all men are created equal. That idea happened in one country at one period of time for a very short period of time. We need to understand that and start acting and thinking and understanding the world we live in and start constructing arguments that is fit for all to sell people on freedom. But lastly, I want to talk to you about the world we live in. And I want to be very specific. I am not talking about any politician right now. I want to just talk to you about in general. And I want to talk to you about some of the feedback I got from last week's show. I am not here to tell you and everything I've got planned and all the speaking tours next year, I'm not going to hear it tell you going, there's no weeds. I'm going to be very truthful with you. America has a lot of problems. Problems? You're debt. You're violating the Constitution, whether it's Article 1, Article 2, or Article 3 on a near daily basis. It is incredibly frustrating. The amount of people, the amount of Americans who don't understand and can't verbalize to me why America is an exceptional nation troubles me. That number is going down rapidly. How many Americans today know what the First Amendment is? Forget naming the rights. How many people do you think you could go in the street and say, hey, how many how many freedoms are in the First Amendment? In case you don't know, there's five. How many people actually know that? Forget naming them. How many? This is the problem that we have. I'm not the guy to say there is no problem. Put your head in the stand. But I also want to be crystal clear with my intent. My intent is to say, yes, you have problems. Our world has problems. But we can solve them. We can solve them by following a roadmap. A roadmap that became so popular, you have an Irish guy talking to you about it. A roadmap that says a fundamental principle comes from God. It comes from your creator. And that all of us are equal. Because the idea of America, quite simply, is so many things you could put into it. There's freedom, you know, all men are created equal, the role of government. But ultimately, why America has succeeded and why we are succeeding more today as we have than every, any other time, and, you know, around the time of Christ, is because people are allowed to pursue their own happiness. And that right, hey, I have a dream 
I have a dream of owning a business. I have a dream of making this invention, the iPhone, the computer, whatever it is, the iPad. I have this dream of writing a book, a set of books called Harry Potter. Ever what your dream is, you have that right to pursue your happiness. That is what we need more of. I'm not here to tell you it's over. I'm here to tell you, you have problems, but here's how you fix them. And the first way you have to understand is you fix them. It's about people doing, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. It's not about politicians. It's not about, hey, oh yeah, we have all these problems, they'll fix it. No, you fix it. Because an analogy used to annoy the hell out of me as a kid is so true. When you point a finger at someone, hey, it's your problem. You've got to fix this. There's three fingers pointing right back at you. That's the parable. That's the story. That's the analogy. That's the principle. Now let's put that into action, shall we? And I hate talking about myself because it's just not something I'm ever comfortable about. But to prove that that analogy is true, I want to go through each one of those and make me the analogy and my struggle with weight. I could go, you know what? Just don't look in the mirror. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about what clothes you wear. Don't worry about how you look. You're not fat. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Just live in ignorance. Do you think that would be a right path forward? Likewise, I could all just sit and go, you know what? Just, just ladies, hello. Big is beautiful, baby. Just, you know, once you, once you go big, you never go back. Just wait for the next hip, you know, wait for this next cycle for skinny people to be out and big people to be in. Or I could go live in like, you know, Japan where sumo or is it, is it China or Japan where sumo wrestlers are and go, oh, mind you, then I'd be small guy then. So, you know, it's, it's you know, half six of one and half a dozen of the other, right? Would that be the healthy way forwards? I could go, you know what? I'm, I'm fat. Let's just burn it all down. Let's just give up life. Been there, done that. Doesn't work. Would we like to have moral relatives on here? Kind of go, well, yeah, I may be overweight, but you know what? I, I ain't as big as those people. You know, I saw a show on for like two minutes on the tally the other day because I don't have any free time at the minute. Or it was like, was it a 600-pound guy or something? I could go, yeah, I got problems, but you know what? I'm nowhere close to that guy. Would that work? Do, would that, do I look better because I'm next to a guy who's 600 pounds? Hey, ladies, maybe I do. <laughs> maybe I could go, you know what? Hey, I ain't that guy. I could uh, push responsibility onto somebody. Yeah, yeah, I am overweight, but it's your fault. Hey, it's your job to make me skinny. I could, I could do this right now. I'm, uh, in case you don't know, I'm, I'm actually started a new hobby I'm really excited about. I'm powerlifting and I'm entering a competition. I could push my responsibility onto my trainer, my personal trainer, go, yeah, I'm fat. You got to make me skinny. Well, I can make you skinny, er, er, small, er, in when I train with you. Absolutely. But that's what? Four hours, five hours, six hours a week? I'm not with you the other 150 hours. So I could do all this training with you and make you skinny, er, in that little period of time, and then you go stuff your face with like Cheetos and is that going to work? Is it his responsibility? I could just go, I'm just never going to, I'm big boned, I'm never going to lose weight, I'm never going to be good looking and just give up. Or, we could go with the path that I always choose. Yes, you have weight issues. Yes, there's a reason for it. I was very sick this year, I've shared this all with you. But you know what? I know how to fix it. I need to work out more, I need to eat less, I need to eat healthier, I need to eat more regularly. 
instead of one big meal. I need to do lots of different things. I need to stop drinking pop and drink more water. There are all these solutions. Because you see, at the end of the day, life, I'm going to sound like Forrest Gump now. Life is like a box of chocolates. No, life is a book. Life is nearly like the good book, one might say. You see, life is a book and you are the author. Ultimately, whether you like it or not, you are the author. And some of you, if you look back on your lives, have written different types of novels. Some of you have written comedies. It's hilarious. So your life is just one big laugh. Some of you have written tragedies. I can, I can relate that I've written many tragic scenes right now. I've, some of you write horror shows. Some of you write action movies. Some of you write romance novels. What novel do you write about yourself? Because you see, what you have to understand, and this is another parable about life in a book. Life is like a book. Hey, maybe I will become Forrest Gump. My mama always said life is like a book. Hey, make Tom Hanks could play me now. Wouldn't that be cool? <laughs> could you imagine Tom Hanks playing me? That, that would be funny. I don't think you pull the ball on the squid off, could he? Or the beard. But life is a book. And you're the author. And you see, the problem that we have in our world right now, because I want to bring this back to the world, but I want to use the analogy first, is we get defined about the page we're on. This is the page we're on. And we get so focused on, this is the page. And so many people go, oh my god, but this is the page I'm on. And this is the last page. No. This is not the last page. You can turn the page over. You can go, hey, turn the page over and start a new one. And then you have a choice to make. Do you want to continue writing that comedy? Do you want to keep writing that horror show? Or do you want to change? Do you want to, you know what? I need to, do you want to change it up? But you see, the one thing you have to understand is life is a book, but it ebbs and flows. You see, there's a great saying, and it's scriptural, but I believe it is so true because history has shown it to be true. This too shall pass. You see, no matter what you're dealing with right now, I guarantee you with near certainty, it's a different problem that you dealt with a week ago, a month ago, six months ago, a year ago, five years ago. Now, some of you may have, on the shorter time, might have a health issue that you're dealing with right now, or you're afraid of coronavirus and you're more vulnerable. Then your issue might be the same for the last six months. But two years ago, were you having that problem? The problem, look back in your life over a period of time. If you have some time this weekend, think of a problem you faced a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. And think, do you think of it today? No. Why? This too shall pass. You see, life is like a book and it ebbs and flows. And so many times, we need life to be like a good book. Can you imagine a book about, like, take someone that you really like, Batman, Superman, any hero, Iron Man, Cowboy, John Wayne, Arnold Schwarzenegger, I'll be back, baby, Rambo, everyone it is. Think of someone that you like, you know, an action hero. Think of a movie that you like. Think of maybe, you know, for the ladies watching, because I know there's a lot of you, think of a romantic novel. You know, a romance thing where the guy gets the girl or the girl gets Prince Charming. And it's a really story. It's a real nice story. Girl meets guy and they live happily ever after. Does that sell many books? Is that true for life? Same way with the action hero. There was a bad guy. Hey, and the the good guy, Superman, Batman, came and pulverized him. The end. No, you see, in every story that's a good story, that's a compelling story, that literally grabs you by the collar and says, come here, you gotta read me. Every story ebbs and flows. And at every point in time, 
There's always that scene, and I'll use the girl analogy and the boy analogy, for that girl analogy that wants that romance, there's always that moment where it's like, oh my God, she, he's not going to kiss her. He's he's not going to kiss her. Oh my, oh my God, she's not going to get the prince. Or the guy's not going to get the girl. You know, she's not home. He rings her up and goes, hey, I'm going to ask you out for a date. I'm going to ask you out for a date. I'm going to ask you out for a date. And, hi, you've reached the voicemail of fill in the blank. Sorry, I can't take your call. And the guy's like, ah, oh, guess it's not meant to be. Move on. Likewise with the action movie for all the guys. There's that period of time where the, the hero is, is down on the ground and he's all cut and he's, he's, he's beaten up. And he's like, but what happens in a good story, good overcomes evil. The, the hero rises up and goes, I'm going to dust myself off. I'm going to rest. I'm going to get better. I'm going to get stronger. I'm going to... Uh, and then pulverizes him. In the movie, in the chick flick, the guy goes, Huh, she's just not home right now. I'll try again tomorrow. Hey, hey, I rang you last night, but I'm ringing you today. You want to go out for that dinner? Oh, yes, I would. I'd love to go for dinner with you. It's an ebb and flow. Which story would you read? Now, why did I share this? Because I'm talking to you about life. And I want to finish off this parable by talking to you about the good book. One of the things that I've actually had this conversation, I don't know if I've shared it with you on the air. I love engaging with you privately. And I've had this conversation, which we'll discuss in length another time. But about God's greatest gift, free choice. And a lot of people are asking me about different things. I actually think, can you imagine, if you whether you believe as a Christian or not, if you read the story of the Bible, of Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve got two rules, two little rules, and one of them was to have sex. Go appropriate the earth, don't eat from the tree. Can you imagine, play that scenario out in your head. Maybe your head is different and your brain works different than mine. But my scenario is, if they follow those rules... You know what? Life is awful boring. Yes, we live in paradise, but would we appreciate the world we live in? You see, the world we live in right now is that story. You see, the first thing I say is that life will be boring is because if that life happened and all their their offspring follow those rules as well, there will be no Christianity. Because if there is no sin and no original sin then you don't need Jesus Christ to come and die for all our sins. So Christianity, who doesn't exist. But I would ask you to look back on life and kind of go, can you imagine all the great stories that we have, all the great people who have lived, who have overcome some great obstacle that we wouldn't have today if we followed that line of thought, that if Adam and Eve just obeyed the rules. Just look at it from the Bible and look at the ebb and flow in this, in the actual story of the Bible. You have Adam and Eve. Hey, Adam. Hey, Eve. How you doing? Hey, baby. You're mine. Well, let's be together. Let's make it a love. And then they eat the tree. There's the bad side. And then they get banished from the garden. You broke my rules. You shall be banished. Then you have, you know, different stories. Cain and Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? You have Moses. The story of Moses parting the Red Sea. That great story of freeing the people of Israel from the pharaohs. Then you have the people turning on them because, hey, we're wandering in this desert. You know, life is great as free. But, you know, at least when we were in slaves and slaves, we had meat. You have the story of Noah. The idea of 40 days of rain. 
you know, get in a big ark, two of every creature. You have the story of Jesus going around telling all these stories. You have the story of the disciples, of the people who followed Jesus. You have the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. You have Ezekiel. You have Job. You have all these stories that you'd miss out on. But to the people who are not Christian right now, oh, John, give over. What? I, I'm not a Christian. I don't believe that actually happened. Fair enough. Look at all the greatness that we've seen, all these great people. If Adam and Eve followed us, follow those two rules, you don't have a George Washington. You don't have a Ben Franklin. You don't have a Thomas Jefferson. You don't have a James Madison. You don't have a Rosa Parks. You don't have a Martin Luther King. You don't have the greatest generation. Why are these absolutely critical to life? Because what, do I wish there was less evil in the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. I wish there was a lot less pain and suffering. But I also understand that when there is great pain and suffering, things and people rise up. People rise up and real good happens. It's ebb and flow. Good and evil. It's a lifelong battle. It will never be over until the, it is over. Until the last day. But that battle will rage on. And it will ebb and flow. There will be times where we'll be like, oh my god, evil is winning. And then there will also be times, because this too shall pass, that good will conquer evil. Now that's another parable. But let me bring it back to life. There are so many people today in your politics, and politics around the world, who get off on this feast or famine. Oh, the world is awesome. We're all great. Or, oh my God, the world's going to end tomorrow. Oh my God, be afraid. I don't care how you feel. You could be happy. You could be sad. You could be depressed. You could be really, really hungry. You could be really not hungry. Or you, I don't care what you feel, but be afraid. Be afraid. Oh my God. They sell on this. And then we as puppets go, oh my God, I'm so scared. They're telling me to be scared. They get off on this. They get ratings by this. They get clicks by this. This too shall pass. We are facing major problems right now. Our world is changing. I spoke about some of the changes that frightened you last week, and I didn't mean to frighten you. I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to talk facts to you. I'm here to talk principles to you. I'm here to tell you that right now, for those of you that listened to my show last week and went, oh my God, I'm scared. What are we going to do? How do you overcome this? Principles. Principles of Christianity are founding principles. I don't care what ones you want to say, what way you want to call them. The principles of nature's law and nature's God are the solution. I'm not here to preach feast or famine to you. I'm here to talk facts and give you the solutions. Because in the history of America, and I'll talk to you as, as an American, as an American listening to an Irish guy, your history is filled with ebbs and flows. Your first ebb was incredible. We spoke about, I think it was a couple of weeks ago, the story of Martha Washington. What would she say to George when he signed up to be the leader of the Continental Army? You know, that ebb and flow, that history, we, we this revisionist history by some of my friends on the right, where we all just decided we're going to, you know, declare independence from Britain and we're all going to go fight them and we won. It was very painful. That was looking really bad for a very long period of time. In fact, it, you don't, if you read enough of your history, you don't have to blink or close your eyes or squint to visualize how that changes and the result goes the other way and where the king wins and destroys and crushes your nation. You don't have to, you don't have to visualize too many things, but it didn't happen. Why did it not happen? 
as much as I hate to say this because it's but it's crystal important to understand, especially in today's context. In large part, it didn't happen because of the French. Yeah, the three Frenchmen. Oh, or the American was the freedom to the Frenchman. Oh, sadly, yes, in some ways, but also because of divine providence. If you read enough of your history, you have to understand how that there, ha- whether it's my God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or some being, there was some greater power at stake. You don't happen to just become a nation that you became. You don't just overcome the British army at that time, in those conditions, in those circumstances. But then also, going on from that, the ebb and flow of 1776, you declare your independence. It takes to 1787 to ratify your constitution, and then to 1791 to get the Bill of Rights. There's a lot of ebbs and flows. Read the Constitutional Convention of Philadelphia. Read some of the notes. Even after you beat Britain, it nearly collapsed. You could have declared your independence, beat Britain, and still collapse again. If you read that history, and you read the notes of the convention of people who were there, you don't have to squint and go, you know what? I can see that going very, very wrong. In fact, I could make the argument of one thing changes, it all collapses. If George Washington, you know the way we made the analogy earlier on of the, the, the chick flick of the guy phoning the girl? Well, guess what? If that writer who ran to George Washington, who knocked on the door and went, Mr. Washington, you're needed in Philadelphia. If he just went, you know what? I'm washing my hair. Don't worry about it. Don't answer that door. And George Washington doesn't go to Philadelphia. And then George Washington isn't the man that he was. Your country doesn't even get started. But it did. Why? Because there is something bigger at play. If you're looking and worrying about the world right now, if you're worrying about the debt, if you're worrying about the economy, if you're worrying about coronavirus, I'm not saying don't. I'm not saying, just just cover your eyes. There is no coronavirus. There is no debt. We don't owe $27 trillion. No, no, just it doesn't happen. I'm not saying that. I'm not the blue pill guy. But what I am saying is put it into context. This too shall pass. Because if you want to talk about the 20th century only of all the things that you've overcome, All the things you have overcome. This too is just another phase that you're going through. This hate America phase. Yes, it's been bubbling under the surface for a long period of time. But this too shall pass. The question is, how? It isn't by shouting people down. It isn't by getting in people's faces. It isn't true violence. What you have right now is two problems in America. You have a big spiritual problem which I will be talking to you about at length. And I will be trying to not slam people, not condemn people, but try and encourage Christians to speak out, to stand up, and be the people that your God, your Creator called you to be. But also, in second part, you have an emotional problem in America. You have this anger, you have this tribalism. And you have this emotion of, hey, America sucks. Hey, America is a racist nation. You don't break that down with facts. You break that down by real emotion. You break that down through stories, through parables about why America is great. Yes, it has flaws, but this is why. And what better way to start talking to people by understanding not America is great because of Donald Trump, not make America great again, not about even about the Constitution. America is great because America is an idea for everyone. Not left, 
not white, not rich, not poor, everyone. So I want to finish up today's show by talking to you about one thing that really frightens me. And it's absolutely key to understanding what's going on right now. And why I am fearful for this little problem if it is not addressed immediately by freedom lovers. A lot of people I talk to, and I I definitely am one of these people, have coronavirus fatigue. And there's a good chance that everyone listening, whether you're listening on iTunes or all the favorite platforms or whether you're watching on YouTube, there's a good chance the vast majority of you have said a sentence similar to this over the last six months. I just want things to go back to normal. I understand that sentiment, but we need to be absolutely crystal clear and very careful what we wish for. Because things don't always go back to normal. The new normal just happens to come along. And I want to use an example of the last time America had this, I want to just, I just want things to go back to normal. 9-11. For those of you who are old enough, do you remember the pain and devastation you felt that day? Do you remember the, the terrifying things that you witnessed that day? Some of you in person. Some of you were close to it. Some of you lost someone in it. Where you saw those terrors come down. And do you remember America grieving in the days immediately following 9-11? Do you remember America after that? Since we're talking about ebbs and flows and good and bad. Do you remember how people became popular to be an American again? Do you remember how it was all of a sudden cool once again to, hey... Let's put that flag up. Hey, oh glory, let's let's take that out. And it was cool again to display the flag. Remember that? But you also remember the, the fear and the apprehension in the economy for weeks and months afterwards. Air travel was decimated. After 9-11, who was, who was going to get on a plane? Who was like, hey, let's get on a plane. Can you imagine being one of the first passengers after 9-11 to walk through an airport? Can you imagine what it must have felt like? But then eventually things went back to normal. Or did they? You see, what you have to understand, and this is the problem that we, one of the things we face right now, is that people have a history of only a couple of years. It's like, for so many people, because things have become so political, the world started and ended in 2016. It was either, yes, Trump won, yes! He's coming to save us! God chose him! Or, oh my God, he's going to kill us all. He, Donald Trump has the, has the red button. But can you remember what it was like living prior to 9-11? Can you remember what it was like flying prior to 9-11? There was no TSA. But because things we saw, one of the most barbaric, evil terrorist events happen in the world history. 9-11. The new normal, where everyone was just, hey, I want things to go back to normal. They did. It was just a new normal. TSA. And look at how TSA has slowly grown over the years. How much is it advanced? Look at how much extra power it has. 
it's normal now, right? I remember back in the day, we used to have debates on something I got wrong. The Patriot Act. The new normal was, hey, America's going to, government is going to spy on you. It's going to record all your phone calls. And if you say certain words, guess what? That call's going to be listened to. The, the idea of get a warrant. It was a conservative rallying cry, even under Obama. Get a warrant. Do you remember back in those days when Rand Paul would regularly speak out about it? Fast forward to 2020. Who was the last Republican? It was probably Rand Paul to say, get a warrant. It's a new normal. You see, we want things to go back to normal. We People like chaos, but we also like certainty. We want to be able to go out and mingle with people. We want to be able to go to the baseball game. We want to go to see our favorite you know, actor or performance in the in a theater or in a cinema. We want to be able to go out and eat our favorite meals. Whatever it is we do, we want to be able to do it in peace. We want that certainty that we're not going to get the virus. We want that certainty that they're going to be open. We want that certainty that we're safe. We're not going to have protesters and rioters. But there's so much desire for things to go back to new normal. That what freedoms will be lost because you got a new normal. Hey, we're going to let you go back to restaurants and cinemas again, but you have to do certain things. How many more freedoms are you going to give up? Now is the time to make the case for freedom. Now is the time to make the case for individual liberty. Now is the time to make the case for personal responsibility. To understand that there are going to always going to be people who will line up themselves to make themselves, hey, I'm your savior. I'm here to fight for you. But they are always usually lying. Because the only person who fights for you is God and Jesus. And your friends and your family. And even then, friends and family can let you down, can stab you in the back. When politicians say they're for you, you got to understand one simple premise. For a politician to fight for you, for a politician to, hey, do something for you, it's also got to empower themselves. And that's taking away your freedoms. America must never, ever forget why you're exceptional, why you're unique, why you're different. This idea of man's relationship with man, man's relationship with government, and man's relationship with his God, his creator, is still a unique idea. That I don't have the right to compel you to act a certain way. That I have a right to certain things. I have a right to free speech. Oh, you don't like it? Tough. I have a right to I have a right to self-defense. I have a right to assemble. Even those people who are really annoyed with issues I don't like, like BLM, and they want to raise the fist in the street, and they want to protest, and they not riot, not loot, but protest, and say Black Lives Matter, they have a fundamental right to assembly. They have a fundamental right to free speech, because rights are for everyone. This is the idea America is built on. America must never, ever forget its roots. You are not a great nation because of your landmass, because of your politics, because of your economy, because of your dollar, because of your resources. You are a great nation because of nature's law and nature's God. You are a great nation, an exceptional nation, because of the idea. But you're also a great nation because you understood, your founders understood, that you have to be humble. That you have to place yourself at the hands of your creator. Of whether it's your God or my God. But you have to be humble. And ask for his blessings. But then not only ask for his blessings. But be people of moral character. To be worthy of his blessings. This is the crux of America. 
And this is what we need to do. Not as Americans, not as Irishmen, but as people who live in this world. We need his blessings, but we need to live lives of moral purpose. We need to stop telling people what to do and start making the argument of, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this, but I'm not going to force you. We need to start making freedom cool again. We need to respect each other. We need to respect the idea that, hey, guess what? It's okay to have a difference of opinion. America and the world must never forget the idea of freedom. Because if we do, God help us all. That is not me being defeatist. That is not me giving up. But that is me issuing a rallying call. It's time to act. It's time to scrap left and right, top and bottom, conservative and liberal. The time is now to make the case for nature's God and nature's law. Until next week, until next Saturday at 12 noon Eastern, we salute your police, your firefighters, your emergency personnel and your vets. And lastly, I salute you, the great American people. Never ever forget America is great because Americans are good. Not Donald Trump, not Nancy Pelosi, not the GOP or the Democrats. American is great because Americans are good. God bless. Freedom versus freebies. This is Freedom's Disciple with Jonathan Dunn on the Blaze Radio Network. 